Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host as always, Steve Hall, and I'm here with Tom Venuto. Um, many of you may, may know Tom. He's been in the industry a long time. Uh, and if you're anything like me, you'll know Tom. Uh, but for some of you, you may not be aware of him. I first came across Tom uh, on the Fitcast and I was kind of, I, I just loved hearing him talk about his experience in bodybuilding. It wasn't as big as it is now. Um, so I was, I was sold on that and I actually have, and I have it here with me. Um, burn the fat, feed the muscle, uh, because it was one of the, probably the first books that was, kind of evidence-based and had some real good basis and knowledge within there. And um, it allowed me to get excited about bodybuilding, excited about potentially going into the fitness industry and helping others. Uh, so, so Tom himself is obviously a best-selling author of this book. I mean, it's sold throughout the world and it's a great book. Um, and many people may have it. You, listeners may already have it. Um, he's obviously been on the Fitcast uh, and has done loads of work and has a really, really successful blog, uh, Burn the Fat. Um, blog.com and not many people blog still but tom is still kind of producing lots of content over there um, and it was a really good bodybuilder himself if you go and google kind of tom venuto and the bodybuilding images that come up he had a great physique actually did incredibly well um, the note i have down was in 1996 you won the new york state bodybuilding championships you were the middleweight and overall winner and uh, I was just looking over your Instagram and you had this massive trophy um, that was like ridiculously big and the trophies aren't that big anymore but um, that was really exciting so a lot of the listeners will be interested in the sort of things that you've got to say Tom because um, this channel is all about bodybuilding and people kind of a lot of newer listeners but also kind of people who have been doing it for a while so it's really exciting to get the opportunity to talk to you today. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I'm a big fan of your show. Oh, awesome. Um, is there anything else the listeners should know about you, Tom? Uh, is there anything I missed there? No, that was a pretty good intro. Thank you. Cool. Um, so like I was speaking to Tom off air, I think something he has a lot of value to add to the conversation is he's been in the industry for a long time. He was a really successful bodybuilder. I mean, that was in uh, 1996. I was literally six years old. So I haven't got this experience that Tom has a wealth of experience. And I'm not calling, I don't mean to make you feel old or anything, Tom. I think that experience is so valuable. You see people like Jeff Alberts and he's so, so successful still and still giving out great information just like yourself. Um, so I'd love to hear kind of initially, how did you, cause even this, your book, burn the fat, feed the muscle is fairly old. Um, well not, not that old, but like just everything's evolving so fast. How did you learn? Cause there's so much great information in, even in that book. How did you learn then versus now what's changed for you? Well, when I started lifting in the early 1980s, I learned the same way just about everybody did. There was no internet. So I learned from the muscle magazines first. Yeah, I heard about uh, bodybuilding from uh, Arnold movies, and then I saw Arnold in Muscle and Fitness magazine, so I started reading Muscle and Fitness, and then I started reading Muscle Mag International, and then Muscular Development was still around, and then there were some older magazines that uh, I don't think they're around anymore, like uh, Strength and Health, and Muscle Up, and you know all these all these old Muscle mags. I mean, I would just devour them all. And that's where I originally got my information, which it was a mixed a mixed bag. I mean, there really was no such thing as evidence based back then. I mean, what they call bro science now was just Everything, <laughs> everything you got. And I learned from um, guys in the gym, too, who are experienced. Um, we had a really, really good community where I where I was started lifting in Pennsylvania, where I grew up as a teenager in high school. Uh, really supportive community in the gym. You know, the guys were all there to support and help you. Uh, they were happy to give advice. They wanted to coach you. They would coach you for free. You know, they just want to help the, the, the new guy that's just starting out. So that's how I learned. So I must have been 14 years old when I started. That was early 80s. Uh, I mean, we're still in the Arnold era. It was just a few years after Arnold last uh, Olympia 
Uh, and so I would follow the IFBB bodybuilding back then. And uh, 1987, um, went to college and there was a brand new uh, major for exercise science. It was, a, it was a new thing right then. So I thought I love lifting so much, I might as well take it up as a career. And so I took up exercise science. And so it was 1990 when I got my degree in exercise science. One year before that, I did my first competition, uh, 1989. So initially, it was just from magazines and guys in the gym. And then I got formal education. I got the American College of Sports Medicine certification, both of the NSCA certifications. And then I started uh, coaching other people. And you know, my education just con continued from there from a variety of sources. But th the sources were really different back then than they are today. Yeah, I think we're kind of too, like not too blessed, but we're incredibly lucky. I mean, there's so many podcasts let alone my own but there's amazing loads of other amazing podcasts like the fitcast and everything now and uh, we can just go and walk and listen and get an education whereas yeah for yourself there wasn't even anything along those lines available so you literally had to kind of see what other people were doing really go for the, the bro science essentially that's what people call kind of bro science now is just going by anecdote seeing it's what's working for other people uh, and I'd love to, and actually what I loved about Burn the Fat, Feed the Muscle was it was kind of like learning from the best, which was like bodybuilders. Bodybuilders get the biggest and the leanest and everyone to some degree wants to get bigger or leaner. And it was kind of using those principles, just maybe a softer way of going about them. Um, and in terms of kind of how it's evolved, what's the biggest differences for you in terms of how you approach bodybuilding, how you talk about it now? What's kind of versus back then to how you talk about it now? What do you think are the biggest differences there well now it's evidence-based but i would say the best way to describe it is it's it's a 50 50 mix of on one hand let's look at what the science and evidence says on the other hand let's look at what our experience says especially our own personal experience i mean look at other people's but i definitely look at other people's and model the best but more if they're like you because everybody's different everybody has different genetics everybody has different preferences and there's more than one way to go about it Whereas, you know, decades ago, a, a lot of people pushed the idea that there's just one best way. And I think, you know, one of the ways things have changed is we, we know there's a lot of different ways to go about it on both training and nutrition. So that, I mean, that's, that's, that's a big difference uh, today is just uh, is the evidence-based approach. I think it's important, but I think it's, it's important to keep on that one hand, uh, the practical side and look at your experience and other people's experience too, and just take both into consideration to come up with your own personal philosophy. Yeah, I think the the definition for, from like Brad Schoenfeld was kind of like take the the anecdote, take individualization yeah. that certain person, and then take the also the literature, and it's kind of that three mix to get the right approach. And I think exactly it, it's kind of almost shifted. It kind of maybe was mostly the anecdote, and people just followed that. Then maybe I think there's become quite a lot of people who just moved to evidence, kind of the pub med warriors. And it's kind of what you're talking about there is that real where we're trying to head is make sure you use both and then individualize because that's where the best progress is made, especially as you get more advanced as a bodybuilder, as I'm sure you've learned, you can't kind of just keep kind of using a hammer to do the same thing over and over again. You need to use different tools right. to try and get different uh, progress there. So um, yeah, that that's really really good and um, my next question i had written down just because i need to read it because otherwise i'll go off tangent um in terms of the anecdote versus research um is there anything you've seen because obviously you've been in the gym for years you kind of were in really i think fortunate in some ways like in the golden era with arnold and everything it's just i love looking back at that period of time is there anything you've seen anecdotally to work for yourself um and maybe isn't suggested to be particularly useful by research or isn't evidenced by any research out there or with your clients 
You know, if you would have asked me that even five or ten years ago, the answer might have been a little bit different. I mean, I think the the evidence has advanced so far because the body of research has grown so much. There's so much to draw on now. I think I think they're starting to meet more in the in the middle. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it's it's like we're getting confirmation of a lot of things um, as opposed to being the other way around. Um, I, you know, honestly, I. I have not changed my training through my whole competitive career, which which went up to about 2005. And even today, I still train serious bodybuilding style. I haven't really changed much based on what's what's come out um, in in the recent literature. Um, I, I I think that uh, what's been coming out as far as uh, training volume goes is really interesting. I know you've talked about that a lot. You know, there see back in the back in the 80s, and I think it even went into the 90s. There's a lot of discussions about. Um, one set to failure was a big deal and a lot of people were really really confused about it because you had so many guys who are just absolutely jacked who said they were doing you know one set to failure maybe they were doing three or four sets because they're doing three or four exercises uh, and there was this big debate back then about you know one set to failure and people were confused they didn't have any confirmation because there was no meeting of the you know the, the the bros and the and the scientists at that point and 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 now we're we're a lot more a lot more clear about that so if anything i think it's more like um, I've gotten confirmation because I was always always more in a more sets camp kind of guy. I mean, I was multiple exercises, multiple sets. Uh, you know, do more if you can handle it. Uh, do a little bit less if if you can't. And it's and, and I think basically I've just getting gotten confirmation of that in in recent years. Yeah, I think that's that's a really nice thing to hear. I think for the listeners as well to remember that there hasn't been anything kind of earth shattering that's changed since bodybuilders were doing it back in the day they were getting a lot of things right um right from the get-go and um yeah it's interesting i know it was like mike mensur and i think dorian yates who kind of popularized yep. very much like high intensities lower volumes um, and i think then when people really look into i'm not so sure about mike mensur but at least for dorian yates you look into his programming and he still was doing like 10 sets per he muscle was. group or something within his programming. So he may have been at the lower end of volume, but there's still, like we're talking about, there's individualization. So volume might be really key for muscle growth, but there's still some people who are at like the lower end of the bell curve and maybe Arnie was right at the top end and Dorian was right at the lower end. And it definitely yeah. depends. And it depends also on the other variables, like how intent, like intensity, like Dorian obviously had a high intensity approach, whereas right. maybe Arnold left a few in the tank sometimes. Uh, so yeah, that, that might be... That might be one thing that that is is different from what I see coming out in current research. Is there's a lot of uh, research on should you go to failure and how how often should you do it? And the consensus now is even in bodybuilding for hypertrophy is that it's not mandatory, mm-hmm. um, and it may not even be beneficial. I see a lot of arguments against. Now, if I were to look back at my experience, just personal experience, I, I would find a direct correlation between how hard I trained in terms of intensity of effort. And the results that I would get right up to the point that I wasn't killing myself and, and, and crushing my recovery, I would see always see a direct correlation how hard I trained. You know, and I think part of the part of the question there is, is there is how do we tell what really is failure? I mean, I'm not sure everybody knows exactly what we have left in the tank. It's, you know, the repetitions in reserve is a really neat system. That's something new that's come out. No one was talking about that in, in, in the past. Are you one rep or two rep or three reps away from failure? Um, and, that, and that's a useful metric to think about or keep track of but how do we really how do we really know it's amazing what's actually left in the tank sometimes you know one of the things i used to do is the the classic 20 rep squat routine 
And, and the way it was instructed, the way it was explained to me is really interesting. And somebody told me, okay, it's simple. You take your, your 10, your normal 10 repetition weight, okay? And you're going to do 20 reps. And then you, it kind of short circuits the brains in your head. You're like, well, what? what do you mean? How do you, that, that's not possible. How do you do 20 reps if, you, if it was a 10 rep, your, your normal 10 rep max? And it's like, well, you pause in between each set and you take a few deep breaths. So you get several seconds of sort of recovery, uh, which, which is a small consolation because by the time you get up to like 17 or, or, or 18 reps, you know, you're seeing God and it, you just don't even know how, how you could possibly go further. But, but somehow you do. You set the goal. And then something else interesting happens at the end. If you do get to, say, 18 or 19, there's no way you're not going to get to 20 because you put so much so much effort in. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's one thing that the, the going to failure. And, and I think the, the questionnaire is, you know, what what really is failure? Yeah, I think it's something I've at least found being more popularized recently is focusing on the quality of repetition. So maybe, um, I don't know if it was Mike Boyle who popularized like technical failure. So if your technique's breaking down, then you've kind of that, that's past failure. Every repetition, it doesn't matter. Like you might get the barbell up, but if you're using any momentum, then you've technically failed. And, um, I think that for me has been along with the reps and reserve, has been a really good way to think about kind of saving fatigue because you're kind of not fatiguing what you want to fatigue when you get past that technical failure point. Right. But I guess, I don't know if you saw it, but at least I think it was, I think you t may have talked about it before where you followed like a Tom Platts and that might be a Tom Platts kind of protocol. Um, and he kind of, I mean, you watch his leg training and he got pretty wild with it. And I'm in my head and when I think about like put my evidence-based cap on I'm thinking he's producing a ton of unnecessary fatigue within a lot of his program but obviously he had incredible quads and then the genetics debate comes in I don't know if you've had any deep thoughts about that because I mean quite a lot of those bodybuilders would just they'd go crazy and I don't know if that was cherry-picked video footage of them or that was just how they always trained I can't speak for other bodybuilders but Platts was exactly like that because I've seen a lot of a lot of videos of him. I have VHS cassettes of Platts nice. uh, tra training, even even some really rare videos he did down in Australia and in the UK. And they'll, they cut out of these videos from the seminar and they go into the gym and he was just insane. There's, it, it's, it's indescribable what he would do, in, in not just at the squat rack, even on the leg extension machine. He would just go and go and go and go it was just crazy intensity and and he did influence me i followed platts all through the 80s i had a chance to to attend one of the seminars and, and meet him i to this day i still have his autographed picture up on my up on my wall with those crazy quads they're ridiculous how big are they like 30 something inches <laughs> so you look at that and you say is that all genetics there's a picture of him when he won the mr michigan i think it was and his legs don't look like anything special at that point point. and i know you can't really tell when you're just a beginner but it's not like he came out of the womb with gigantic legs. I mean, he was doing something. And if you look at what he did different than everybody else, I mean, the intensity really was a part of it. I mean, he he was just on a totally separate level than anyone else as far as intensity. So I would look at that and I would say, you know, intensity of effort, that's got to be, you know, that's got to be a piece of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. And I would try to duplicate, which I never duplicated, but I got into high rep squatting and it's very, very fatigued producing i mean it'll it'll knock you out that's when you can really start to, to understand what recovery is if, if you start to do heavy high rep squats and again that's another like apparent contradiction yeah but it, it's it's a, when you pause if you're not doing continuous tension reps if you if you pause you can extend those squat sets and just go on and on and on and on and it's amazing how far you can go and 
I would see some pretty ridiculous results from that. So this is not scientific at all. I'm not talking about any, there's no evidence I've ever seen that would, would confirm that kind of approach, you know, really crazy high reps and uh, extreme intensity, but it, it worked for him. And at least to some degree up to the point I could recover for it, it worked for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's just one of those things where it is worth experimenting sometimes. Um, not to say if something's working for someone now, like don't go and completely change your program to doing 20 rep squats. But I mean, if you've never done it before, you're kind of stagnating on the approach you're taking, potentially that will be something that could work for you. I mean, I don't think there's a lot of reasons to say that it, it wouldn't work. Um, it's high intensity, high volume kind of, I don't see why that couldn't work for someone. Um, something I'm interested in is, Obviously, I've even seen it and I haven't been in the industry that long, but there's a lot of fads that kind of come in um, and go. Is there anything that you've kind of seen? Um, how many fads have you kind of seen and what big ones have you seen recently? Um, and how, like, which ones do you see like reappear consistently through the ages? Maybe bodybuilding specific, but just anything, fat loss, muscle gain. Well, on the, on the training side, I'm honestly not paying really close attention to what this pro, what training system they're promoting and what the other, because it seems like everybody has their own system and, and unique names. And, you know, I think you can probably pick and choose and, and, and find something of value from everybody. I think in terms of fads, what pops in my head is more the diet side of things. Yeah. And the biggest thing that, the first thing that comes to mind is keto, because keto is not a new thing. I mean, back in the early 90s, it, it had a resurgence under the name of Atkins. And it was around long before that. The original Atkins, wasn't that in the 70s, in the early 70s, I mean, even before my time, and there was a low fat, a low, low carb, high fat diets going way, way back, mm -hmm. probably 660s, even published under certain names. So, so in terms of fads that have gotten recirculated over the years, the, the keto has been the one that just kind of surprised me how that, you know, you check Google Trends a year ago and that was like the top, it's still up there. It's still way up there. Uh, it's just it's it's to the point where I mean you know it's a crazy popular trend when mainstream marketing starts to latch onto it. You go to the grocery store yeah. and you see you know keto foods. Just like you know, about years ago, there was everything had low fat on it, uh, and then what was it? Gluten was the three was the fad, and so mainstream food marketing starts sticking it on food labels. You know it's gotten huge now. It's keto, and now it's even gotten into the supplement industry. There was never such a thing as a keto protein powder you know, years ago, but now it got so big they stick keto on yeah. keto protein powder. If that makes sense, but it's just, it's just branding and and, and marketing. And uh, you know, I'm not um, when I say fad, maybe I'm maybe trend is the better word. I'm not necessarily saying it's not a a, a yeah. viable approach for some people. Uh, it's it's not my favorite way to do it. But I first tried a. a, a low carb, high fat diet back around 90. I tried about three times. And the very first place I heard about it personally was Vince Garanda. Vince Garanda was promoting that way, way back in the day. His whole diet fit in a little five by seven booklet called Blueprint for the Bodybuilder and it fit on oh, one wow. page. The whole diet, the instructions for the whole diet was on one page. <laughs> and basically it's just like, you know, meat and fat as much as you want. Meal one, meal two, <laughs> meat and fat as much as you want. And then like meal Brilliant. three is like meat and fat. And then uh, there's a little footnote that says, you know, you can have some green vegetables. Like, and I didn't get it. I didn't understand at all why you would do that. But 
and it wasn't it wasn't that huge in the bodybuilding community then. It was more a weight loss thing in the in the mainstream. But the curiosity, I understand why people will want to try it. I would say fall for it, but I understand why they want to try it because mm-hmm. you hear about it so much. The and you see some people it's working for them, and it's kind of the curiosity gets the best of you. So I tried. I, I tried it on three different occasions, um, and it did work. And I did do it once for a contest prep. Believe it or not. Oh, wow. I've so I mean I've done every extreme of the macro ranges and I did do it for contest prep and I did get lean enough to be on stage I don't think I was at my peak and probably because I was messing around and experimenting and I just didn't know exactly what I was doing and I and I, I definitely wasn't tracking macros then because you know how this diet works is they actually discourage usually discourage tracking macros okay. at least for, for for general weight loss if you do yeah. keto it's just like well one macro control your carbs Okay, I want you to keep your carbs under 20 grams or keep it under 40 grams. And if you do that, it's supposedly all your calories are going to fall into place, which is not necessarily true. I did find that out. You know, if you want to eat two dozen eggs a day, which I did at one point, I mean, right away, where are your calories? You know, you know, not even counting everything else that you add in there. So, yeah, the big, the big one, keto, low carb, high yeah. fat. And then actually to lead into what's your nutritional approach kind of obviously how's it changed over time? How have you got to where you are now and what is it that you kind of – you use yourself and maybe promote to most of your audience? Uh, mine hasn't changed one bit, to be honest. I mean, I, I learned I, what I would call, you mentioned my book, and thank you for the plug, it's Burn the Fat, Feed the Muscle. What, what kind of diet or program or philosophy is that? It's bodybuilding nutrition. That's yeah. all it is. Bodybuilding nutrition, if I have to put a name or a label on what I do and what I recommend, it's bodybuilding nutrition, classic bodybuilding nutrition. It's so simple. You know, it's like one, two, three. It's like yeah. a protein. Um, a starchy carb or a whole grain and uh, a fruit or a vegetable. I mean, can it, could, could creating meals possibly be more simple than that and, and foolproof for most people? Let's put aside people with, you know, disease and metabolic disorder and they're sedentary and obese. You know, that's, I mean, it's not the bodybuilding population anyways, but it's so simple. One, it's, it's one, two, three. And I was doing that in the 80s. I was doing that in the 90s. I was doing that in the 2000s and the 2010s and I still do that. And there's one factor that we that I like I do manipulate I do manipulate carbs and and sometimes I'll and basically when you're manipulating carbs you're just manipulating calories mm-hmm. it's just a it's it's a it's a way to get your caloric deficit right so if I have a, an off season mass building diet and it's you know 400 grams of carbs or 450 or whatever it is depending on how active I am that's the number that starts to creep down but my so is my calories. So, I mean, I could call it lower calories or lower carbs. The macro ratio shifts a little bit. And the reason I do that is because I don't want to mess with the protein. I want to leave the protein up. If anything, I want to take the protein even higher. Because, you know, I definitely would believe in, if anything, I lean more towards, if in doubt, go with more protein. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, for me, I mean, it's just a diet that makes sense in that your protein and fat is quite often set by body weight. And that's kind of the demands the body has are for that kind of it's set by body weight and then carbs are kind of your energy source so it depends what you're trying to do if you're trying to actually use your own body fat energy then you go under and you go into a deficit with your carbohydrate and your calories and then if you're trying to gain kind of or you're using a lot of energy then you have more carbohydrates and yeah it's a quite a hard one to kind of I guess it takes a lot of effort for the general population to think about these three things and kind of really get into their mind that and I guess there might be some tracking involved initially, but um, the other ones just have 
much more simple rules, I guess. Like eat as much meat and uh, kind of fats as you want yeah. and then don't eat any carbs. But then uh, people still get that confused. They're like, so fruits are a carbohydrate. Like, yeah. And so <laughs> they don't even realize that it can get people quite thrown off. Um, so yeah, in terms of, obviously we talked about bodybuilders. We brought up Tom Platt's and you talked about that leg routine. Is there any other things you've tried from other bodybuilders that kind of you've decided that don't stick and they're kind of a complete waste of time or other things you've tried and you're like, actually that works really well for yourself and maybe even it's worked for other people, but not yourself. One thing I've found is that almost everything works at least a little bit. Anything that's not completely stupid, if it just follows the most basic principles of, of resistance training, you know, you're going to get something out of it. So it's not like a zero. It's not like you get zero, so it's not going to work. So I've tried a lot of things and seen and seen some results. And a lot of times I'll try something new and it'll work really well at first, but I later end up chalking it up to the novelty effect. Right. So, I mean, we have to have a certain degree of consistency and focus on progressive overload. And so that would imply that we're going to have to, at least for a, a certain amount of time, stick with the same exercise, stick with the same training principle but at the same time i think we have to figure out how often to change things mm -hmm. so I, I mean i've tried a lot of different things and seen some positive results uh like i've tried full body workouts before just see what happens and in bodybuilding i used to always think of that that's purely a beginner routine if you train right. your full body and then you just graduate into splits at least you know a two-way split like an upper lower uh and then you know, maybe into a three-day split or even some people do a four-day split and it, it worked it worked for me it worked better for strength than it did for hypertrophy I, I had just shocking increases in my strength I was really really surprised hitting each muscle group three times a week with a much lower frequency per, or volume per workout okay. really in fact it's funny because in some of my lifts they went up so much that it started to bother my joints right and some sometimes I'd finish those cycles and it would hurt it would hurt my back because my, I've always had back issues if I'd be squatting so much or, or rowing so much and I would I would back off on the weights. I'd actually go back to to a little bit less weight and more reps. So uh, um, so that that worked, but I I'd, I'd never have stuck with full body training for not for maximum hypertrophy for bodybuilding. It's always split routines. So I would I would experiment with these different um, split routines and different frequencies, and they all worked a little bit, but not, nothing really worked as well for me as say a three day split. Mm -hmm. Either either push pull legs, or more often I would do chest back. Uh, arms, shoulders, and legs split it up that way. Go three days on, one day off, and just having tried all of these other things, they this worked a little bit and that worked a little bit. I, that's pretty much what would be a go-to routine or a four-day split. I would break it up a little bit more and I'd train uh, four days on, one day off. Mm -hmm. So I, I would be uh, so I've tried all different for all different frequencies. They all worked a little bit, but once every fourth day or once every fifth day, which might be considered low frequency by some people today. That's, that worked for me for years, and, and I, I, I still do that today, even after trying all these different techniques. Mm -hmm. I think that's just a good case of um, trying things and then sticking with what works. Like that's, you know, I mean, it's such an old principle, but I think a lot of people try and fit to the mold or they think, oh, I must be doing, because all the advanced guys do it like a push-pull leg, so I have to be doing this, or high frequency is the way to go, and it's kind of like they quite often forget what actually their body's telling them the feedback they're getting from themselves. So the fact that you've been doing the same sort of frequency throughout a career and just trying different things and then coming back to what works, it sings to the consistency and kind of just small tweaks along the way. 
Uh, yeah, there's some specific principles I've used too that that I've used you know for for decades, and I still come back to them today. And and I'm seeing evidence coming out supporting them today too. Uh, like the recent research on drop cert sets, I thought was right. pretty interesting. And back in the back in the, I, so I've tried that many times and it works and it still works for me. And back in the day, I thought it was oh, it's just more intense. It's you just you're just making a set more intense. But we look at at the conclusions they made from the from the recent studies is well that's just a, a, a time efficient way to increase your volume, mm-hmm. which which makes sense. So now I still do the same thing. I just think about it a little bit differently of how it works. Yeah. And and it is very time efficient. And um, the rest pause technique, you know, I experimented with back in the day, and that's something I still come back to today. And and again, it's the same thing. It's it's a way to intensify the effort, uh, but also you're you're ramping up your volume too. Yeah. So those are a couple of techniques I tried that I stick to. I think it's really interesting, actually, when you say kind of um, how you're using these. They're kind of almost like old school bro, like bodybuilding techniques. Yeah. People might call them like the drop sets. And then the research is showing that, yeah, they work, but not maybe for the reason that we thought. And I think exactly. that that's exactly what keeps coming out with the research, kind of like something like, I don't know, even down to like tilapia or something like that, where it thins <laughs> the skin. It's it's a low fat protein source. Like it's going right. to somewhat help towards actually losing the body fat which might lead to that look or something like uh, even doing fasted cardio that's a period of time you're not eating so maybe it's easier to then stick to your diet again it's just achieving that calorie deficit which is why loads of these fad diets stick around because they actually just achieve that overall principle and i think that's really interesting that that keeps happening so whenever i kind of think back to those the ways bodybuilders do it and i see if there's a lot of bodybuilders getting great results with these methods that maybe don't seem like they have any reasoning Kind of it's just thinking outside of the box. Why could this be working? Why might this be actually a productive thing to be doing? Um, and actually, that's kind of the final question I had for you was in terms of when you're looking at bodybuilders um, and kind of obviously you're seeing you followed the kind of Arnie era now, whether or not you keep up to date a little bit with the guys now, is there any kind of common traits you see within them that provides them success and results? And uh, what would those be? Well, consistent hard work over time regardless of what uh, frequency or volume or, or philosophy or you, you adhere to or whatever principles if you're consistent over a long period of time that's what it takes in competitive bodybuilding that's just flat out what it takes you know I see a lot of amateurs or, or recreational bodybuilders especially who are, are really really frustrated and they're on and off all the time I see this all all the time they train for a little while and completely stop for a while and it's just you know one step forward and then one step back. If they're lucky, they get two steps forward and and one step back. So they they, they still have one step forward of net progress. But it's it, it's the consistent application over over time of whatever system it is that that you enjoy training with. I mean, to me that's to me that's the one common denominator I see with everybody over all the years. And everybody I think overlooks it because they're looking for some kind of magic. They're looking whether it's some whether it's on the research side, they're looking for some breaking technique that's going to that gets published in the research and that's going to be the one that's the one thing or something uh, you know some bro secret a pro has. They they're looking for those kind of things, but to me I always just come back to the, the the fundamentals, hard work, consistency over time is that's that's the one thing. Yeah, I think it's it, it's sad because a lot of people that listen to the research and listen to this potentially are trying to hear and they might have wanted to hear you say like this one quick fix thing but bodybuilding is kind of literally a sport of delayed gratification and 
the longer I've been doing it, the more I'm realizing that. And um, I think it's those who get frustrated, maybe as like those intermediate levels where they don't have that patience to keep it going. And they do what you say, like they, they just maintain what they've got because they aren't that consistent. Maybe they go in summer for a few months, see some good results, then let it go over the winter period. And then they're like, oh, I'm back on it. And then they just keep regaining and losing what they're already having. And I think... Um, some of you spoke to there and I'd be interested here if you've had much experience of that yourself is obviously that consistency means we need to be in the gym working and doing hard work over time and kind of injuries crop up I think it's almost a case of when rather than kind of if you get an injury mm-hmm. what have you found if there's any techniques or kind of uh, fatigue management strategies to keep you going because obviously you're still training now uh, which is fantastic and I hope I'm still training kind of in my older years and I want to make sure um, I don't screw myself over too early so yeah is there anything you've found to really help or anything you've done in the past that you wish you hadn't done oh yeah well, first of all, you know, prevention would be the best cure and smart training is the best way to prevent. I, I mean, when we're younger, it, it's almost hard to avoid the ego phase. You want to see how much you can lift yeah. or you think you want to be a powerlifter or you get confused about what you are, you're a bodybuilder or a powerlifter. And I know you can be both. We see guys, we see powerlifters who are jacked and we see power bodybuilders and bodybuilders who like to do the powerlifts. And, and I mean, let's face it, it's, it's gratifying to lift heavyweight. It, it really is. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna knock it and, and just say to go for the pump and burn. Um, and, and obviously, you know, the, 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 the weight is, is the, that's your number one factor for your, for your overload and, you know, ten, tension overload is to, you gotta keep increasing your weight, but that's something you gotta be careful with and especially to keep the ego out of it. And especially when it comes to your form. I mean, I think that's, that's the one the one main point is it's not just the heavy weight, but it's the form you use. But it's 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 easy to lose sight of what good form is when you start yeah. when you start pushing yourself, um, and you you don't can't sometimes you can't tell when your form is breaking down. So you know being a stickler for form just and and not being if you're a bodybuilder, especially if you're a bodybuilder, not being obsessed with um, strength alone as the end goal. Be, you know keeping your your focus on how you look. If that's your goal, and some people criticize that, I mean, there's people who criticize that. It's like, oh, you look great, but what can you do? You know, how much can you lift? I, you know, I mentioned Vince Garanda before. I remember one of the things he said years and years and years ago. He said, you have to make that decision. Are you a bodybuilder or are you a weightlifter? I mean, which are you? It is a different endeavor. Mm-hmm. They overlap absolutely, but it is a different endeavor. So, I mean, that's one thing is, is you know, know what your goal is and strict form, and you know, know your limits in terms of of strength, and. Uh, when when it does happen, like you said, it's almost inevitable. It it is inevitable. I mean, I've had some bouts with um, tendonitis in my elbows that were ridiculous. They didn't go away for the better part of a whole year, and I had to completely change my training. And it actually, it's a funny thing. It actually um, got set off by kind of dumb training. I got into this into these uh, pull up challenges <sighs> with with some friends, and it's like I gotta hit thirty in a row. I just had it's just it's just a number I'd never done in my whole life. And this was going back just a few years ago, like three four years ago. So, you know, in my late 40s to hit a PR of 30 reps would be pretty, you know, pretty cool. And so I talked to my buddies who are into the body weight training and they're talking to me about, you know, the grease to groove and daily training right. and accumulating your, your reps. And I was doing just a ridiculous number of reps and it, that just, it, it set off my elbows and they, they were really shot for a long time. I couldn't do lying tricep extensions. I couldn't do any overhead. I mean, I just had to completely alter my training. So again, there's that, the lesson of staying away from, you know, dumb stunts you know yeah that that can set that kind of thing off but just two words that i tell myself and i tell everyone else is work around 
You right. find that you can work around it and you have to be willing to change your approach like almost completely to what you were used to doing. Selection of exercises and then the, the, the rep range too, you may have to go lighter. So in the, it was really interesting with the case of my elbows. I found out that it was just those exercises where I was hinging around the elbow and there's a lot of torque around the joint would really set it off. But dips I could do, I didn't feel any pain mm. in my elbow or, or bench dips or um, kickbacks. You know, there's a whole there was a whole set of exercises that maybe were not my regular ones, and I switch. I just switched. I just completely changed my exercises, and then I just went lighter. I just bumped up my rep ranges. Uh, I wasn't doing heavy training, and I was able to keep going, and I was able to work around it. And I think you can you can almost always work around it if you just change your training parameters and switch, especially exercises. Switch up your exercises. We get attached to exercises sometimes to the point that it. it we get really frustrated. Like if, if you love to squat and there's something preventing you from squatting, you have to stop. It drives you crazy, yeah. but you can let it go. You can let it go for a little while. And ultimately you might find there's some exercises that just don't agree with you. Like that, it's been amazing watching how popular uh, deadlifting has gotten over the years. Um, even though, even with bodybuilders and, and I just kept going back to it and trying and trying it and trying it. But, but I had an L4 disc rupture, you know, years ago. And so I had on and off back problems for a long time. And, I would be so careful. My form would be perfect. Uh, you know, I wouldn't grind reps ever, but every single deadlift cycle ended up with a low back strain every single time. And eventually, sometimes you just have to realize that you may not be cut out for a yeah. certain exercise, whatever that is. I know some people, maybe maybe it's not an injury, maybe it's just your body structure, but if you keep pushing it, an injury is going to come. So you kind of have to, at some point, know when to let go of an exercise. Yeah, I think that was really well put because I think a lot of the traits that make bodybuilders really successful also bite them completely in the backside, like being stubborn to the point at which they will put themselves in a very bad position um, and somewhat ego, I guess, part of bodybuilding for I think most people, most of us who do it, there's a little bit of ego there in terms of like obviously just the physique and the look and getting on stage and being judged and trying to do well. Um, and those, like like you said, they can really bite you in the ass. And I think everyone listening probably can relate to the fact that, like, especially now powerlifting has become more popular. People do, I, I certainly got a bit lost with powerlifting and I ended up getting injured and that actually stopped me then powerlifting and made me focus on bodybuilding because the great thing as a bodybuilder is, like you said, you can work around. There's no exercises you must do. Um, and there might be exercises, there might be people trying to squat now who are like really long limbed and it's just the worst exercise for their biomechanics and they should maybe be going in a leg press or doing lunges or like a hack squat or something that's more suited to them um, and that can be hard and that's when like you said you have to be really honest with yourself and are you a powerlifter or are you a bodybuilder because at some point you might have to choose and the choice it may pick you or uh, you might be able to pick eventually so no i think that was brilliantly put and um i think a lot of this is can take a lot of kind of a lot of the things you've said are just they ring true in many ways and I think they just are great to reinforce. So yeah, thank you uh, for saying everything you said. Yeah, sure. Awesome. Um, I think w I have everything that I've wanted to ask you covered. I don't know if there's anything else you kind of wanted to talk to on those topics, but um, if people want to reach out to you, Tom, uh, where should they find you? I know I talked about your blog. I think that's probably your most popular kind of out outlet at the moment. Yeah, um, a few places. Uh, BurnTheFatBlog.com is the public side. That's the free free blog um, that I put a, an article out on every week and send out a newsletter from there. Uh, we have a members-only community, uh, BurnTheFatInnerCircle.com. And on social media, I'm on Facebook the most. So um, you look me up at Facebook, um, BurnTheFat or Tom Venuto. Those are the best three places. 
Perfect. I'll make sure they're all linked below. And yeah, I mean, there aren't a lot of, I mean, blogs have kind of died down now and like podcasts have almost taken over. But if people do like reading, then uh, it's nice to know that there's a, a good blog still going out every single week. So yeah, thank you for that. I'll make sure they're all linked below. Cheers, guys. And we will catch you soon.